Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Greater Eastside Agent Podcast, sponsored by Cleveland Street Mortgage. I'm your host, Chris Buteau, and let's jump right in. We're going to talk about um, an antidote. You know what? Uh, let's you know the hyper local. What's happening in the marketplace? Here's an actual example. Very recent deal. This was a North End condo, and on the market for about two weeks, and it had a very strong recent comp. You know, very very strong comp. Same complex went for above list. Uh, and this condominium complex had you know strong homeowners association quality management, uh, right around 450k, let's say. And 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 these buyers came in. There was another one on the on the market, and the buyers came in about 10k below list after two weeks. And so the property had been on the market for two weeks and uh, no offers. And so they came in about 10k below and they got the property. You know, they got they got it even though there was a very recent sale that went for over list and, and significantly over that. And I think that just speaks to a little bit of the nervous nervousness out there. Um, if a property sits too long, you know, that, uh, you know, in this market, it, we, we still see, uh, you know, average listing time or average time of market in the teens, but that number's climbing. And so these sellers, you know, didn't want to take that gamble. We're willing to take that offer. And uh, that, you know, that, that property um, ended up, you know, selling. And I think, you know, with, with both, you know, a reasonably happy seller and a happy buyer. Uh, plays that worked. We're going to call this, you know, kind of Goldilocks primping. If you're, if you're selling a property, it's a very interesting time in the market right now. Because, you know, we're, fi- you know, we're finally starting to see inventory climb. It's still very low, you know, relative to historical trends. You know, inventory is still very low, but it's climbing finally. You know, it's taking quite a while this year to kind of start growing. Days on market are growing. And gone are there days when listings could dress like they were going to a come-as-you-are party. You know, you could just throw it out there. Now I know... That didn't mean you should, or, or even that you know, agents largely did that, but you could, you know, and sometimes did, you know, didn't have to do a lot. You could throw it out there. You know, you'd have a ton of competition, bid the, you know, bid the price up. And so, you know, it, it requires a little more thoughtfulness right now, you know, in order to kind of come up with that uh, right-sized primping of a property to go on the market. You don't have to be crazy, but buyers have choices, you know, and properties are sitting longer and they have time to evaluate. And I think good realtors understand that and, and carefully consider for their clients, you know, how much needs to be done. What are the things that, that we should do in order to optimize your net profit from this property? So you can't just throw it out there. Um, but of course, that doesn't mean you have to fix everything or do everything. But uh, that's where a, a good realtor kind of uh, is super valuable. And that 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 is what I would call a play that works right now is, is kind of right sizing your primping of a property so that uh, it presents well in the marketplace, it garners the right kind of attention and, and it gets you know the, the, the best price. You know, what's happening in the economic news, interest rates, you know, the, uh, this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a broken record here, rates are up. Um, you know, the 10 year treasury yield ended north of 4.3 and everybody, you know, the, the, if, if you don't know, there's a very high correlation between the 10 year treasury yield and 30-year mortgage interest rates. They, they're, they're not the same. You know, the Treasury yields at 4.3, and wouldn't we all kill to have 4.3 right now on a mortgage? Um, but they move in tandem, you know, they're, yeah, and, and, they've, and they have a very long and steady relationship of moving in tandem with each other. And Treasury yield has been held under 4.3 all year long, kind of you know, would, would drift up that way and then bounce back down again. Well, it finally closed a little bit above that. And several factors are contributing here. I mean, government borrowing is very high. You know, with government debt at all-time highs, the government has to issue bonds. And supply and demand, just like in every other facet of the marketplace, works here too. You know, if there's more borrowing, 
then that means you know there's there's less that there's there's too much supply for too little demand and that means the borrowers have to offer higher rates in order to to garner the attention of the of the people who are willing to lend them money and so that's driving up the cost of money the government is a huge borrower right now they're they're issuing a lot of bonds and that's driving up the cost of borrowing um, inflation is still higher than the Fed target, you know, than the target rates. And, and so I think that's given a lot of people pause to think, you know, maybe the Fed's going to continue increasing rates or certainly won't lower them as soon as they hoped. Uh, the economy is resilient. You know, people are starting to wonder, you know, is this recession really going to happen? And then I think, you know, kind of look no further. If you want to look at why the Fed's concerned about the labor market, the, you know, the Fed is, has been you know, more and less transparent about their concern of an overheated labor market. Of course, the Fed doesn't want to appear to be saying we want more unemployment, but that's really what they want. They want a weaker labor market because there's too many jobs chasing too few workers right now. And that gives workers incredible leverage. And I think you have to look no further than the United Auto Workers demands right now. They're negotiating with the automakers and they're demanding a 40% increase over four years. And some analysts, you know, along with other benefits, and some analysts have, have calculated that that would add $100 per hour per worker. Okay, that's adding $100 per hour per worker. Can think about that. That's an increase for these United Auto Workers of $200,000 a year per worker. So that's a tremendous inflationary uh, uh, pressure right now. If that, you know, when... when, when when wages go up and go up that significantly and that quickly, now this hasn't been agreed to. This is, you know, obviously there's a lot of posturing going on here, but but that's kind of one of the things that the Fed's looking at with with those sorts of aggressive demands. You can see that there's there's a ton of strength um, on the side of the workers right now, and that has inflationary pressures. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm not taking sides in that whatsoever. But I think you can see why the Fed is concerned that that could have an inflationary effect on the economy. And that's why I think the market is reacting and wondering, or is the Fed really going to slow that down? Finally, kind of my wannabe vintner vignettes. You know, I like to study wine. I, I, I am a, a very much a novice. Um, I like to drink wine. It's really lovely. Um, but I love to say, I, love, I just, you know, I, I fantasize about growing grapes, you know, on, on my property one day. And so, you know, so I read different things about it. And one of the things that's interesting, there's this concept in, in, in wine growing, grape growing, called growing degree days. And basically, you know, it's the concept is the progression of, of in-season grapevine development is strongly influenced by air temperature. And so average heat accumulation is used to compare regions and vine, vine growing conditions. So you're deciding to grow, you know, kind of where, what grapes will grow, grow where. There's, you know, there's a very sort of objective number that they come up with. And, it's, and this heat accumulation is referred to as growing degree days or GDD. And basically, you know, they, they stipulate the growing season in the state of Washington to be April 1 to October 31st. And they take the cumulative um, temperature, average daily temperature above 50 degrees. So if you ever have a day where the average daily temperature was less than 50 degrees, that day doesn't count. That's a zero on the growing degree days for the whole season. So they're really looking for just those cumulative days over 50 degrees. And, and mathematically what they do is they say, okay, the average temperature today was 63. We're going to subtract 50 from that. And if it, if it goes negative, 
then they ignore that completely. That's a zero. And that's how they ignore days that, are, that don't ever get to 50 degrees. But you know, in this case, they subtract 50 from that, it would be a 13. And you'd add all the days up, the average daily temperature, less 50 degrees for April 1 to October 30th, and they come up with a number. And throughout the you know, throughout the state of Washington, you know, we have numerous different AVAs, and I think we're up to 20 or something, you know, maybe a little bit now, and you see the long-term cumulative growing degree days of all the various um, AVAs, and, and the hottest one is Red Mountain, you know, 3,258 is their kind of growing degree days, and then Lewis and Clark is 2008, and of course, as you might expect, that's kind of down near Portland, and what's interesting, uh, you know, or, or down in the south Washington, and, and what's interesting about this is, you know, the way they use this is they look at different types of grapes that are going to grow well, depending on your growing degree days and your growing season. So, you know, if you're between 2,200 and 3,000, that's where your Cab Sauv, your Merlot, your Viognier, Tempranillo, Petit Verdot, Malbec, Grenache, Cab Franc, Sangiovese, a lot of these kind of you know, bold red grapes are going to grow well there. And of course, some whites also. But if you drop below 2,200, that's where you're going to see things like your Pinot Noir, um, your, your Chardonnay, your Sauvignon Blanc, etc. And, and that's kind of why you see, of course, Oregon is you know, more famous for their Pinot Noir. And their growing degree days are going to be closer to the 2000s. And so they're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be more appropriate for that type of grape. Whereas, you know, Washington's going to be the, the, the bolder reds, especially kind of in the Walla Walla area where, you know, we have the highest um, growing degree day accumulation on average. So anyway, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening.